I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. As the Russian invasion continues in Ukraine, China just announced that it's doubling down on its support for Moscow. Uh, meanwhile, the zero COVID strategy looks like it's slowing the economy and causing some extreme hardship for people caught in Shanghai. What's going on in all of those places and spaces? Ian Johnson, senior fellow for China Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations, joins us now to help us break all of that down. Ian, thanks for jumping on with us today. My pleasure. Uh, so let's let's start with this uh, strategic cooperation uh, between China and Russia, China really signaling that regardless of what's going on in Ukraine, uh, they're going to continue to deepen those ties with Russia. Yeah, I think they don't want to run afoul of U.S. sanctions, but they're going to do everything short of that to support Russia. They just can't afford to let their most important ally go down the tubes, um, which is what could happen if, if the war really goes south. Uh, and how and how specifically are they uh, working to do that? You mentioned they're kind of walking a fine line. They don't want to be sideways on some of those sanctions. Uh, what is China actually doing that is supporting Russia currently? And what do you see in the in the forecast moving ahead? Well, they're what they're not doing is they're not sending weapons, for example, mm-hmm. to Russia. They're not doing that level of support. And probably Russia doesn't need weapons anyways from China. It's got plenty of weapons. But what they are doing is buying more uh, energy. Um, I think also going forward, we're going to see that uh, you know Western Europe is moving away from Russian oil, coal, and gas. Um, and we can expect China to jump in and say, well, if Western Europe doesn't need it, we certainly need it. And from China's perspective... Uh, natural resources from Russia is safer because it's just they can come on a pipeline overland, doesn't have to come through shipping channels, etc. So I think we're going to see China become a big buyer of Russian products and, and especially energy. Yeah, and as as that part of it moves forward, you mentioned they're they're not doing the weapons part and the military pieces. Uh, Russia seems to have uh, enough of those and to spare. Uh, but on the economic front, is there anything else that you're watching or kind of gauging in terms of how this interesting alliance moves forward? Yeah, I'm curious about grain and things like that, because China is a net food importer. And if there are problems that Russia has moving grain or, or any other agricultural uh 
products, I'm sure that China will also jump right in there and, and help out. Um, what I don't think, and I think it'll be interesting to see if they, if, if things really go bad for Russia and they need financial support, it will be interesting to see if China steps in mm. uh, and, and, and gives them a lifeline. I'm not sure we're there yet because right now Russia's making a pile of money selling uh, oil and so on in the open market. They don't seem to need the money. But if, if that were to become a problem, if sanctions really bite, then that could be an area where China could help. Uh, that would be very interesting to see uh, how that goes, especially as we see how uh, Europe responds and what they do in terms of some of that uh, Russian oil and gas. Um, is there anything else from the, the economic front before we shift to the uh, the COVID uh, challenges there within China? Anything else on the economic front uh, or just the, the ties in general between Russia and China that are on your radar right now? I mean, it's just been striking to me how China has had numerous opportunities to put some light between it and Russia's position. But they, they take the most extreme support of Russia. When you listen to the Chinese foreign ministry spokespeople uh, at their daily briefings or on Twitter, they really, they're almost, it's like an echo chamber of Russian propaganda saying, mm-hmm. oh, there's weapon labs from Fort Detrick that are in the Ukraine. And this is all a perfectly legitimate security concern. And time and again, that it's all, America's fault because of expanding NATO into Eastern Europe. And, you know, even if you think that that was a problem or there might have been some misjudgments there, invading another country, you think, is is not a proportionate response. But China doesn't at all uh, blame Russia. It's 100 percent the West's fault. And I think that that's it's surprising to me. I didn't yeah. think China would go quite so far down that path. Yeah, fascinating. And then let's shift quickly over uh, to what is happening uh, with COVID there in China. And uh, I guess the real question is, has China taken the authoritarianism so far in terms of the lockdowns, tracking apps, and so on? What does that look like? What does that feel like, especially in places like Shanghai? Yeah, I mean, here it's similar to their policy in Russia. They've just They've, they've taken this one position, and it's, it's clearly Xi Jinping's position on Russia and on COVID. And I think no one's willing to tell the emperor that he's not wearing any clothes, isn't wearing a lot of clothes. And, and so with this COVID strategy, you know, a year ago, two years ago, it made sense, lockdowns and so on. But there are vaccines or effective vaccines that you can have if you want to uh, protect yourself. And you can get societies moving again. And a lot of countries around the world are doing that. But in China, it's still using these inferior vaccines and then having to compensate for that by having these endless lockdowns. Um, and, you know, in a country of, of 1.4 billion people with very, very few cases, almost no deaths, if the official figures are to be believed, still having these massive lockdowns that are affecting the economy and, of course, global supply chains, as we feel here in this country. Yeah, uh, great insight as always. Uh, Ian, I'm going to sneak in one last question before I let you go, uh, because this one is an interesting one to me, too, in, in terms of Chinese ships patrolling the seas. Uh, there's clearly been an uptick there. Are they looking for conflict or are they just kind of flexing? Uh, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I think that they, they're still pushing into the South China Sea. They want to make that their backyard. They view that as their, you know, for America a long time was sort of the, the Caribbean or the Gulf of Mexico. They sort of view that as their territory, even, even though these are huge international shipping lanes. And they want to push their blue water navy out, give it more experience uh, in in 
crisis areas. And, you know, they're not ready, I don't think, yet for a conflict with the United States. They still don't quite have the ships they need and so on. But I think that they're, they are building it, their Navy out, and they want to give them more experience and, and slowly flex their muscles like that. I think China is much more methodical in how they're building up their military power and their hard power, but they are building it up and they are slowly expanding it. Uh, fantastic. Ian Johnson, Senior Fellow for China Studies at the Council on Foreign Relations. Ian, always appreciate your perspective. Great insight on China that uh, it's easy to lose track of as we're focusing on all of these other issues, uh, but really important insight today. Ian, thanks for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. All right, we're going to step aside for a quick commercial break. Coming up, we're going to come a little closer to home, really close to home. Utah Valley University is hosting a conference on domestic violence. We'll talk with Christiana Wagstaff, a victim's advocate at the university, about the conference and what we all need to know in a crucial conversation coming up next. Stay with us. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. 